Welcome to the podcast from Peace Lutheran Church. I'm Pastor Brad Schallenberg. And what you just heard was Schools Out. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Let me read for you Ecclesiastes chapter 2, reading at verse 12 to the end of the chapter. Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise man has eyes in his head, while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I thought in my heart, The fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said in my heart, This too is meaningless. For the wise man, like the fool, will not be long remembered. In days to come both will be forgotten. Like the fool, the wise man too must die. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun, because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will have control over all the work into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This, too, is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then must he must leave all he owns to someone who has not worked for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? All his days, his work, his pain and grief. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find f satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Now, what about that song at the beginning, School's Out? Well, do you remember the last day of school when you were a kid? How productive were you on that day? Teachers know it is futile to even attempt to give the kids to get the kids to do anything on the last day. And so that day is usually filled with movies and parties and field trips rather than tests, presentations, or projects. Why is that? 
Because if there is no opportunity for reward, there is no motivation to expend any effort to accomplish anything. After all, if I won't be here tomorrow, why exert any energy today? Life is like the last day of school. At some point you will die. Your last day is coming and you don't know when it will be. It could be today. It could be many decades from today. Either way, one thing is certain, you will have a last day. And once you die, everything you were working on or working toward or working for will have come to an end. Because of death, life can feel like a waste of time. Death is the great equalizer. No matter how high we ascend in life, when it's all said and done, everyone ends up around six feet under. Those who are getting old or battling a major health problem or prone toward melancholy see this more clearly and feel this more pain, painfully. Those who are still young and strong tend toward optimism and don't think much about death, but instead focus their energy on carving out a meaningful life. Keenly aware of this fact, the elderly Solomon, who sees his finish line of death fast approaching, yells back to the young generation fresh out, fresh out of the starting blocks of life about the futility of the lane they are running in. That lane has been popular and purposeless for 3,000 years since. Study hard in school so that you can get a good job. The findings of Solomon are shocking and troubling. After all, is this not precisely what every good parent tells their kids? That the key to a great life is good grades in school that allow you to find a good career path? But is that all there is to life? Or have we missed something? After surveying the boring rut of life and the depressing inability to straighten out our crooked world, that was chapter one, Solomon took some time to chase the popular distractions associated with pleasure, that's chapter two, only to discover that the pursuit of happiness is kind of like an Easter egg hunt without any eggs. He then continues his search for meaningful life in wisdom and work or getting educated and getting things done. You might say our equivalent to getting a degree and a good job. And that's what he's talking about in today's reading. The ambitious optimists or the Wise among us devote their lives to study, knowledge, and insight, trying to make sense of the world and possibly also to straighten out the crooked mess. On the opposite side of that, you have the lazy pessimist or the fools who have lost hope of changing the world and embrace the fatalistic conclusion that being informed or even transformed is a waste of time. The amount of information on planet Earth is increasing at staggering rates. We now have more data about life than ever before. 
In addition, we are free to pursue education through a seemingly limitless number of opportunities in any field imaginable. Yet no matter how much we know, we will one day die having not changed the world in any lasting way by our vast knowledge. In the end, both brilliant scholars who devoted their whole lives to study and those who gave up trying to learn, grow, or change both end up in the same place, a hole in the ground to largely be forgotten. To Solomon, this reality seems quite unfair since we could certainly use the skills and talents of doctors, teachers, researchers, counselors, and others who become more helpful the longer they live, yet they die too early. This depressing scenario raises the question, why bother knowing at all, anything? Why bother running the rat race of life if it's just to sprint to your own funeral? Solomon then shifts his focus from learning to our work. That which we devote the best years and energies of our life to apply all of our learning. Work is both unavoidable and necessary at the same time, right? Work began with God, our creator, who initially designed us before the fall to work and take care of the earth and to build a culture that glorifies him. You can look it up in Genesis chapter 1. But we sinned and disobeyed our creator. So God cursed the ground so that creation continually wars against us, making all labor a frustrating toil. We die because of the curse and the dirt ultimately wins filling in the holes around our dead bodies. Think about it. God did not, God did this not because he hates us. He didn't curse the ground because he hates us. No, no. He did this because he wanted us to taste the frustration that follows when that which is supposed to be ruled instead rebels. He wants us to understand how frustrating we are who are supposed to be under his rule and how frustrating we've become. So when we work and go and try to accomplish something and we run into roadblocks and frustration, as oftentimes happens with work, that is meant to cause us to run to him in repentance. God, I can't do this on my own. I need your help. I need your grace. I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so in our work, or in our doing, we often fall short of what we hoped to accomplish. Man, sin affects everything, doesn't it? Today the world is in such a mess, and so many things are undone, that we continue to work both in paid and unpaid labors, trying desperately to straighten out all that is crooked, I mean, in Canada today, we are, we are in the top 10% of countries who work the most. Yet, with the curse still in effect, we end up hating our jobs, never getting all our work done, and longing for the myth of retirement when we won't have to work anymore. Once retired, 
We wake up to find that even if we don't have a job, we still have a lot to just do to live. It is all toil, and we still find ourselves frustrating and often unsatisfied. The bottom line is that we work ourselves to the breaking point so that we can buy a house and maybe a cottage and fill it with nice things only to die and have someone who spent their life skipping class and napping at work move in, sit in our chair, which is barely used because we had no time to sit down. If you stop to think about your work, what it's accomplishing, and why you should keep working, you would likely end up very discouraged, start wearing black, and listening to punk music. But this kind of reflection on why we do what we do is rare because we're so stressed out by our work that we lay awake at night, so overwhelmed by what we have to do that we don't even have the time or energy to ask if we should be doing it. I warned you that when you study this book of Ecclesiastes, it's going to be revealing, thought-provoking, a little depressing, and I pray also life-changing. It is, after all, the Word of God, so hang on. Solomon's summary is sad. No matter how hard you study in school to get good grades and earn the right degree, even if you land your dream job, you will wind up frustrated, aggravated, and agitated. You won't be happy or satisfied. That reminds me of another song. No, instead, you will lay on your bed all night stressed and depressed, unable to sleep as your health suffers, while you realize that your dream life is actually your nightmare. This may sound familiar. If not in your life at some point, for sure, in someone you know, we are all in this together. Nothing new under the sun. For men, we've even created a category of midlife crisis to explain what happens when a man realizes that his life efforts at work are, as Solomon says, meaningless. Did you know that the number one category of suicidal people alive on the earth are men in their midlife, 40s and 50s? If you have a man in your life in his 40s and 50s. Please care for him. Is there another answer? Well, I sure hope so. And here is the good news. Life. No matter what we have, where we go, or what we achieve, something is missing unless someone is present. In some ways, this kind of reminds me of marriage. My, li my wife and I met when she was 15, I was 18, and we've been together ever since. I, 41 years, that's a long time. 
as my nearest and dearest friend, whatever I am doing is better with her. And something is missing when she's not around. You who are married know what I mean. Even if your spouse is in, the, in another room, we want to be close to each other. And even if our lives get busy with all kinds of stuff that separate us, we take notice and we try to do something about it. Why? Because being with her is better than being somewhere else without her. I'm not saying every moment of every day, but think about your spouse. I'd rather have them in my life than live without them. And this is why couples persevere in the hardest of times. When one of them is sick, etc., so many of you know exactly what I mean because you've been there. Similarly, it is God's presence that makes all the difference in the world. Life is much more about who loves us and who we love than what we know or what we do. Knowing and doing are great, but meaningless if done apart from loving. Do I need to say that again? Life is much more about who loves us and who we love than what we know or what we do. Knowing and doing are great but meaningless if done apart from loving. Solomon, in essence, ponders that since we are all going to die and life is a crooked mess, what are we to do with the few days we have under the sun before the coroner comes to pick up us? Solomon's answer is both stunning and liberating. We should be so wise that we waste all our time trying to understand life, or so foolish that we waste all our time trying to avoid it. No. Instead, stick close to God and enjoy it. I'll repeat that. Stick close to God and enjoy life. Our problem is that we often spend so much time trying to figure out life through wisdom, straighten out life through work, or avoid life through folly, that we die before actually getting around to enjoying life through God's grace. The big idea is that everyone gets certain gifts from God, such as life, food, and work. Moreover, it is the children of God who, who walk with him faithfully that also obtain deep enjoyment and satisfaction. In this way, the gifts are not complete without the giver. This is a great secret that our stuff and our satisfaction are two different things. Yeah, it's true. And that our satisfaction does not come from our stuff. It comes from our Savior. Growing up, I used to love canned fruit salad. The problem? You needed a can opener to open the can and enjoy it. God is like the can opener. He helps us enjoy the blessings he gives us. Without him, we can't. 
Now, nowadays, the wisdom and work of people have fixed that problem, and they got rid of God, so we don't need canopers. We can just peel back the fruit salad and eat it. Typical world. But we still absolutely need God to enjoy life and make it meaningful. Remember we talked about perspective? Not just life under the sun, but also life above the sun. So we need to zoom out again, like Google Earth, for a fuller view of the world, for a better perspective. And we move from Solomon to the one who is wiser still, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we zoom out in history and we see, yes, death is indeed coming for us, but it is in fact a beginning rather than an end in Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus alone has conquered the great enemy of death and returned to life to reveal to us what awaits us on the other side. In baptism, the Bible tells us Jesus puts to death our old nature and forgives us, and we live under his amazing grace. And on the other side of our physical death is a kingdom where the curse is no more because sin is no more. In this world, people receive temporal awards, right? I mean, it's that time of the year, award season. But in the kingdom of heaven, God's people receive eternal rewards for living wisely and working faithfully. We strive to live wisely and work faithfully, not to earn God's favor. That's already been done for us by Jesus. We live wisely and work faithfully in response to that undeserved grace. In this way, life along the journey toward our forever home is an opportunity to make memories and store up our treasure in heaven just as Jesus taught us to do. Another illustration. The Bible tells us that God is our father and we are his children. Yes, dad wants us to do our homework and do our chores, wisdom and work. But what matters most to him is getting time together with us to make memories and have fun with his kids. Otherwise, life may, life may be impressive and productive, but it's also relationally hollow, empty, and shallow. Jesus died and arose again and ascended into heaven. Why? So he could be with all of us all of the time. Remember his great promise at the end of Matthew. And lo, I am with you always. To, to the very end of the age. His presence in our life, his daily presence in our life, every moment of every day, makes life meaningful. Amen.